want to give a shout out to our friends at uh, Fulham United Reformed Church. I think that they're joining us today uh, for the sermon and for the Lord's Supper. Uh, so at least that's what they said. Uh, I can't see if they're there or not. But if you're there, uh, welcome. Uh, glad you joined with us. If you have your Bible, let's go to two places. Uh, first of all, to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and then to Colossians chapter 3. Before we read, let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you that it is your word to us. And I pray now that you'd speak to us in the power of your Holy Spirit. And let your spirit rest upon me that I can bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully, through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we pray all this in his name. Amen. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books of the whole, uh, the whole Bible, especially of the Old Testament. I think it's such a great celebration of life and a life-affirming uh, book. And I need to say that because uh, uh, it sounds kind of strange when you start reading this. So we'll start with verse 1 and read down to verse 15. Or 16, excuse me. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that a same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to where you're going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, 
So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. And then to Colossians chapter 3, just one verse there. Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Oh, hallelujah. I've really had a struggle the last few weeks. Um, and that's uh, why this passage from Ecclesiastes came on my heart. And my struggle has been this. I, I've had the, uh, uh, I don't know, the privilege or misfortune of uh, having a, a, a low-priced subscription to one of the, the, the dailies. Uh, and uh, so I've been reading that uh, a bit, not the whole thing, but I've been reading that, and, and I've come across a lot of different stories that really uh, have broken my heart. And it, they've broken my heart uh, not because the people that are telling them are necessarily telling sad stories or intending the stories to be sad, but it breaks my heart because I see so much how people are living. Like one uh, a column that I've read in and out of is uh, from a woman who had, had gotten a divorce and had gotten back into dating, you know, and there's questions like, do you have sex on the first date? And uh, the kinds of things that their friends are struggling with and the, the kinds of pressures that people are under to sacrifice their dignity or their purity uh, or uh, themselves in some way just to try to have some kind of connection. I read an article about uh, abortion. And you all know that I'm, I'm quite pro-life uh, in, my, in my viewpoint. Uh, and of course, you know, most people that you'll read in most columns today uh, are uh, not, you know, they're what we'd say pro-choice or in favor of the woman's right to choose abortion. Uh, but uh, this, this article I read was breaking my heart because in the past, you know, a lot of times throughout the history of being part of this debate and everything, uh, people will talk about, well, you know, it's a fetus, it's not really a baby. And, and actually, I hadn't realized how much that thinking had shifted in the last 10, 15 years to the point now where people are, are openly acknowledging, yes, we know that we're killing a child, but you know, sometimes we just feel like we have to do that. Uh, and just to see that written down so starkly uh, has really grabbed a hold of me. And I could go on just the different stories that, that I've read about different things going on in the world and the different generations, how they're struggling to deal with different realities and also the impact that social media is having on so many people 
and it's turning out to be much deeper in terms of how people understand themselves, how they value themselves, how they see themselves, uh, and turning all of that in a negative way, uh, that social media is having a negative impact much deeper than that which uh, many of us had anticipated that it might have. And I guess in all of that, it'd be okay in, in one sense, because that's kind of what you expect for people who are not following Jesus Christ with their lives. But in honesty, uh, I've just continued to read stories too about people who call themselves Christians, who I believe probably are Christians. It's not mine to judge. I wouldn't say whether someone is or not, but just how they're struggling, how Christians are struggling in their lives. And, you know, how so many hopes are dashed and, and people are abandoning their marriages and abandoning their children and uh, how uh, uh, religious leaders uh, are, you know, abusing people. Uh, it's just, it just overwhelming sometimes. And, of course, you add all of this into the mix of what we're dealing with right now. You know, we're in a new day uh, in society, in our world right now. Uh, in part because of COVID and the lockdowns. But as I've t said for the last two years, uh, COVID has not really introduced much new. It's just exposed things that were already there. And so we're seeing all of this. You know, you, you probably read about some of the fights on the four courts uh, of the, at the petrol pumps. And I'm thinking, people, come on, get a grip. Get a grip. And... Uh, and, and now, you know, panic buying and the thoughts there's going to be shortages. And, of course, inflation is here, and, and that's very detrimental to us. And then, of course, the lingering impact of COVID and the lockdowns and over 5 million people on the waiting list now with the NHS to get treatment and how we could have end up having more people die of cancer that's not been treated than we had people who died of COVID. And so you look at all of this, and you start to say, goodness gracious, what's happening in the world? You know, and, and you, you kind of say, Jesus, come now and rescue us, or at least that's the temptation. But frankly, I believe as Christians, we need to resist that temptation. Yes, I want Jesus to come. And yes, the Bible tells us to pray, Jesus, come. I want that to happen, but I believe that there's so much more for Christians and for the church of Jesus Christ in these next few years, in this next decade or so, before Jesus comes again. I believe that there's so much life to live, and I believe that we as Christians need to change the narrative in the world that everything's falling apart and that life is terrible that we need to change the narrative that religion and Jesus doesn't really matter to people. We need to change the narrative so that the world begins to see that Jesus Christ is worth living for and Jesus Christ makes life worth living. And that even in a challenging time, and make no mistake about it, we are in a challenging time in our world today, that even in a challenging time like today, Christians can thrive. And I believe that that's God's will for us. 
that we thrive. Now, please understand, I don't always mean thrive in the way that Western materialism will define thriving. For too long in the West, if you've got a big house and a nice job and a big car and a good bank account and happy children, then you're thriving. But you can have a lot of those things with the exception of the happy children. Uh, I, I can't help it because I was seeing a couple of happy kids. Uh, I love these happy kids. But uh, with the exception having a big house doesn't mean you're thriving. Having a good job doesn't mean you're thriving. And we can thrive. And we need to even change the narrative about what it means to thrive as Christians. It's the time. And it's so amazing that the Bible speaks to us in a time like this. This whole series has been ancient words for a new day. We're looking at words written hundreds, thousands of years ago and how they still apply to us today. And this passage in Ecclesiastes, it's one of my favorites. I love this passage. In fact, I was tempted to, uh, you know, I, I called this the message today the top 10 trending tips for thriving today. I couldn't find more teas, uh, but uh, I, I tried. Believe me, I tried. Now, where is it trending? Well, I hope that this will be trending after uh, the, 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 this sermon and next week. I'm not going to do all 10. I'm not going to do all 10. I'm going to do five today and five next week because I thought there's no way I'll cover 10, and that might be a little bit of brain overload for you. Uh, but I know that Ike is uh, on via Zoom today, and Ike is always faithful in taking notes and circulating those around. So I hope that after today, we'll be starting the top 10 trending tips for thriving today. And they're going to come from this passage here that we read from Ecclesiastes. Because a lot of people, you read Ecclesiastes, you know, and it seems so down. He starts out, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Or meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless. Oh, we're going to die. Oh, it's terrible. And you, you look at this, and you think, goodness gracious, this is so depressing. But I think Ecclesiastes is one of the most amazing, life-affirming uh, books in the whole Bible. And especially applicable for how we live our lives in this world, in this reality right now. So today I'm going to go through half of this passage from Ecclesiastes, and then I'll deal with the other half next Sunday uh, in the message as well. But we can thrive as Christians, but we need to know how to do it. We need some tips about ways to succeed at thriving, especially in the world we're living in right now. And I think Solomon gives these throughout the, path, throughout the book, but especially in the passage we read today. So first, let's go to verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. So he begins and says, gives us kind of an assurance here, and says, the wise and the righteous, everything they do, their lives are in the hand of God. 
The, the metaphor, in the hand of God, means in God's care, under God's protection. You might remember the old song, he's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole, that's, that's the idea. And we need to understand, yeah, God's in control. God is sovereign. Uh, that means he's sovereign over all. But here, the, Solomon is focusing particularly on those who are righteous and those who are wise. Now, the righteous are righteous because they're in right relationship with God and with other people. Wisdom is determined by how you live your life and according to the book of Proverbs, wisdom is all about the fear of the Lord. It's about being in right relationship with God and living in the context of that relationship with God so that the things you do are things that will honor God. The way that you live is a way that will honor God. Now, we know you can't do that by yourself, but the good news for us as Christians is that Jesus Christ lives in us we have the Spirit of God in us. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We have been washed clean. We have been made righteous. And because of Jesus, we can live wisely. And here's the promise. If you are righteous and wise, you are in the hands of God. That's a great promise. But then he goes on and says, but hey, you don't know what's going to happen. It might be bad. That's that word evil. Uh, and by the way, for most of Ecclesiastes, the word evil doesn't carry the same kind of weight as we would say Satan is evil. The word evil for Solomon in Ecclesiastes is something that's, that's really bad. It's not fit for purpose. It doesn't, you know, it's not a good thing. It's not like evil in the sense of demonic or satanic. And that's important to understand in Solomon's language. And he says, you don't know what's going to happen, though. Is it going to be love or is it going to be hate? Yeah, your life is in God's hand, but that doesn't mean you know what's going to happen. You know, a lot of times, you know, I thought when I became a pastor that everybody was going to love me, that I'd get a lot of honor, that people would listen to me preach, and, uh, and that they would appreciate that. I didn't think that people could get offended. I found out very quickly. But, you know, that wasn't in my uh, expectation or my anticipation. And the same is true for all of us. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if living for Jesus is going to bring you material prosperity or it's going to make you poor. And either one could happen. You don't know if people are going to love you or going to hate you. Either one can happen. But you never know what's going to happen until it's happening. But regardless of what happens, you're in the hand of God. God's got a hold of you. So what's our tip for thriving in light of this reality? We need to live in the present and know that our destiny is secure in Christ. We need to live in the present. So many times we, we start thinking and planning about the future and saying, I want this to happen. I want this good thing to happen in my life. I want to have this kind of wife or this kind of husband or this kind of kids or this kind of job. And frankly, you don't know what it's going to be like in the future. You can't know what it's going to be like in the future 
All you can know is that your life is in the hands of God. So instead of living for some imaginary future that might never come, live in the present. Live in the moment. Live moment by moment. In relationship with God, relationship with others. Because your destiny, your future, is secure in Christ Jesus. Tip number one. Now let's go on in reading. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. He who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Well, you know what the event is, right? You die. Isn't that wonderful news? You're going to die. You're going to die. I guarantee it 100% unless Jesus Christ comes first, which in my case he may not. In some of your cases he may. But that's the event. You know, it really would be nice that if we're good, good little boys and girls, that we got a few extra years of life. But sometimes the good die young. And sometimes the not so good live to be a ripe old age. This kind of thing happens. But the good news is that we know that we are going to die. And that means we can live accordingly. One of the strangest things that Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes in another verse, he says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than it is to go to the house of feasting. And you think, that sounds a little crazy. He's saying it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. And why is that? Because the funeral reminds you of what's going to happen. That you have one life to live and that you are going to die, and that you have a finite amount of time. It's a reminder to us of this reality. And because we know this is going to happen, then we need to live our lives. We need to live our lives. So tip number two, we need to, to thrive, we need to make choices and commit ourselves, rejecting the fear of missing out because you only have one life. Make choices and commit yourself, rejecting the fear of missing out. You know, when I started dating Karen, I, I'm, I'm this kind of guy, I kind of jump into things, uh, kind of both feet. And, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty sure after a very short time, period of time, I'm going to marry this gal. She wasn't so sure. It took her a while to come around to my way of thinking, but eventually it happened, uh, you know, and that was, a, that was a lovely thing, and I'm so glad. But, uh, but, you know, I tell people, too, there are probably a lot of women in the world that I could have married and had a happy marriage to. There are probably a lot of them. Now, I don't know that there are a lot that would have wanted to marry me, but, I, you know, there's a lot I, that I may have wanted to marry, but... I didn't, I wasn't afraid of missing out on those women 
in order to get with Karen. I'm going to make a choice, and I committed myself, and I have not regretted that choice a single moment in 41 years, including the time we've been dating and everything. I've not regretted the choice. And by the way, I didn't sleep around to test out a bunch of them. You know, I didn't take a lot of women for a test drive before I settled on this one. But so often today, people are not making a choice. They don't make a commitment because they think, well, what if someone better comes along? Or they don't take a job because what if a better job comes along? What if I could get a better price on the car? You know, you can, you'll always miss out. I guarantee you. There will always be things you can't do. You will never have as much money as you want. Even if you're probably Jeff Bezos, he probably thinks, ah, I could use some more money. It happens. It's the way of life. So make the choices and commit yourself. Don't worry about missing out because you only have one life, so start living it in light of Jesus, of course. So let's continue. Second half of verse 3 there. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward for their memory, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their passions, that's the, that word there, their envy, their passions, have already perished and forever they have more, no more share in all that is done under the sun. Now understand, under the sun is a key word in Ecclesiastes, meaning it's about life on this earth from an earthly perspective. That's a key interpretation. If you're reading Ecclesiastes, you need to know that under the sun, he's talking about life on earth. He's not dealing with the afterlife and things like that. He's dealing with the reality of how we live now. So it's important for us to understand. So what is he saying here? He's saying that human beings are really messed up. Human beings, I mean, we're seeing that. We're seeing that the arguments, the, the, uh, I read about a, 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 someone who attacked people with a hammer this last week. I mean, that's messed up. That's evil, or I, I like to use the word here, wicked, which means it's all twisted and, and just, you know, people are broken and it's really strange and really weird and, and, and it's like people are crazy. It's like people are crazy. And if you feel that way, that's what Solomon was saying too. Several thousand years ago, you know, it hasn't changed. And he said, you know, most people, they live their lives full of this wickedness and full of this craziness, this foolishness, and then they die. And then the memory is all gone. I mean, once you're dead, it's over. Once you're dead, the memory of you is forgotten. You don't have any more share in what goes on, on in this earth. 
You know, we talk a lot about leaving a legacy, and it's nice, but you know, most people don't. In fact, there are very few people you could say has actually left a legacy, and the legacy you think about for a lot of people is very quickly gone. You know, even things that seem very important to us. And uh, so what do we do? It's like people are wicked and they're foolish and we die. But then he says, you know, even a living dog. Now, we don't understand that today because we like dogs. You know, we've got lovely dogs in the church, Lupe, uh, other dogs, you know. We like them, we have them as pets. People back then, you wouldn't have a dog as a pet. Dogs were not liked at all. They were not pets. They were not really domesticated. And lions, though, even though they might eat you, people liked lions. They thought, hey, lions are cool. They're scary, but they're cool. And Solomon says, well, you know, even if you're a dog, a live dog is better than a dead lion. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying our, our third top ten tip, <clears throat> don't let the evil and madness of people get you down, but live in hope and live for Jesus. Where there's life, there's hope in Jesus. We're going to be surrounded by this. Don't let what other people are doing. Don't let their, their madness, their foolishness, their wickedness, their twistedness, don't let it get you down. Don't focus on that. Because while you're alive, you have hope. While you're alive, you can change your life. While you are alive, you can make a difference for Jesus in this world. While you are alive, there is hope in Jesus Christ. And then he continues. And now it gets a little bit happier for the last two of the first five top ten tips. Go eat your bread with joy. I love this part about eating. You know, whenever Solomon, I think it might be why I like Ecclesiastes so much, because he talks a lot about eating and drinking. And I'm thinking, I like this guy. He's got to be a fun guy, right? Except for the fact that he fell away from the Lord later in life. That's, that's not the fun part. But anyway, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. God has already approved of what you do. Now, I love this, you know. Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. What is he saying here? He's saying, enjoy your life. It's okay for us to enjoy life. It's okay for us to enjoy food and beverage and going to the cinema and having a picnic and going on a holiday. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. And you can enjoy your life in part too because God takes pleasure in the fact that you are alive. When he says God has already approved of what you do, he's saying God has already approved of your living. God has already approved of your life. And that's especially true for us in Jesus Christ. You know, God has in, uh, designed bread for our enjoyment. He's designed wine. He designed food. He designed the idea. 
Pleasure is not demonic. It's a gift from God when it's engaged in according to our design as a created people of God. Pleasure is from God. And so Solomon says here, enjoy your life. And so how would we phrase this top 10 tip? Top 10 tip number four. Rejoice and be glad, enjoying your life, because God takes pleasure in your living. I find a lot, we just don't rejoice and be glad enough. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing to myself in that. You know, there's a lot of days, like this morning, you know, I got up, I wasn't feeling good. Uh, I, I just, I was feeling kind of depressed. I was tired. I was achy. Uh, you know, all these things. And then my voice wasn't strong. All this stuff, you know, I'm just like, oh, I'm just feeling miserable. And it's just, blah, 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 one thing after another. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I have to be slapping myself frequently uh, because I've got to remind myself, God, thank you for my house. Thank you for my car. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my church. Thank you for the friends that I have. And I go down and I list all you people because I'm grateful for you. I rejoice in you. I rejoice in our friendship. We need to live our lives as Christians rejoicing and being glad, realizing that we don't have to be afraid of God. God has already approved of us, especially because in Christ Jesus, God has accepted us fully as the people he's created us to be and Jesus Christ sets us free to be the people that God has created us to be that's what we have that's who we are in Jesus Christ right now so rejoice and be glad enjoying your life because God takes pleasure in your living and now verse 8 for the last one let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Now the idea of white garments, I mean, there's so many layers of meaning here. But uh, the, the most obvious one and the most straightforward one for Solomon is white garments... That's, that's what you wear for a celebration. So white is the color of celebrating. And that was for him. I know in some cultures, white is the color of death, but that's not for Solomon. White is the color of celebrating. And oil, I mean, I hate, I hate putting anything on my head. You know, I like to have a natural head of hair. But back in the day, when you didn't bathe all the time, and things like that, you could get a little whiffy. And so the good thing is you put uh, a scented oil on your head and it can kind of drip down. And, uh, and that was a, also a sign of celebration. Like you're going to go out, you're going to have fun, so you need some oil. And what uh, uh, Solomon is saying here is that, you know, let your garments always be white. Let oil never be lacking on your head. Basically, he's saying... Celebrate your life. Celebrate the fact that you're alive. It's a party. It doesn't always feel like a party, I know. But it's a party. 
celebrate your life, that you're alive in the Lord. But I think we can phrase our top ten tip in this way, number five. Celebrate your life, that you are alive in the Lord as you pursue purity and the Lord's anointing. Because we as Christians, we know that there's a deeper meaning to the idea of white garments. There's a deeper meaning to the idea of oil. White garments in the book of Revelation indicates people who have been purified, people who are cleansed from their sins. And we should live as people who have been cleansed from our sins and not wallow around in it. And we know that oil is also symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So I think as Christians, we must be celebrating life, celebrating the life that God has given us, celebrating it with our friends, but celebrating it as we continue to pursue purity, as we continue to pursue God's anointing upon us, so that we can live fully and boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that these five of the top ten tips are key for us to thrive. And my challenge to you, you don't have to try to implement all of them, but maybe pick one to start with. One to begin to implement today in your life. And of course, the other thing that we know, the other thing that comes into our reality as Christians is not only white garments and oil, but it's also bread and wine that Solomon mentioned previously. You know, when Solomon tells us to eat our bread with joy, and drink our wine with a merry heart. I think as Christians, we can also understand this refers to the Lord's Supper. In a lot of places, the Lord's Supper is a very solemn and somber kind of ceremony. But I think for us as Christians, it should be a ceremony, a celebration that's filled with joy. We eat this bread with joy. We drink the wine with gladness of heart because it reminds us that God has approved us. He's accepted us. He's united us with one another and with him through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you so much that your desire for us is to thrive in the Lord Jesus Christ that your desire for us is not just to live or to live miserably, but to thrive, even though we don't know what the future holds. Even though we don't know what life will bring, we can thrive through Jesus Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit. Now I pray as we come to this table that you would join us at the table that you would bless the bread and the cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to restore joy into our hearts and gladness into our hearts.
Use them to remind us of how you've accepted us in the Lord Jesus Christ and how our destinies are secure in Christ. Use them to purify us and to fill us with your Holy Spirit, your anointing, so that we might live boldly for Jesus. Attend to us now, Holy Spirit, for the honor of Jesus and the glory of the Father. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.